Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. Heading into Memorial Day weekend, we're firing up the grill at Beyond the Show World Headquarters and serving up a piping hot interview on cultivation facility expansion. This conversation taps into some of the classic themes that emerge at Cannabis Conference each year, so you're going to want to tune in for an in-depth chat on how to think about building out and scaling up. Growth is the goal, but how do we get there? To answer that, we're turning to Arizona. My two guests this week are Corey Carter, Vice President of Cultivation at Item 9 Labs, and Chris Wolven, the Chief Operating Officer at Item 9 Labs. Since 2017, the company has been cultivating, manufacturing, and processing Item 9 Labs products from its existing 19,200-square-foot facility, which sits on five acres. As part of the master site expansion, for which ground was broken last fall, the Item 9 team acquired the neighboring 45 acres and is now increasing its operation space to more than 640,000 square feet, a 3,100% increase in scope. That's no small task, literally. So we dug into the work that went into this expansion and how companies of all stripes can conceive of their expansion plans. So please enjoy my conversation with Corey Carter and Chris Wolven. Well, hello, Chris and Corey, and thanks so much for joining the show this week. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to talk with both you guys about what's been going on with Item 9 Labs recently including especially uh, the ongoing expansion that uh, ground, uh, ground was broken uh, late last year, and I'm very eager to catch up on, on how that's going. So um, maybe to begin, uh, we'll use that as the perfect segue. Um, again, ground was broken in, in late 2021. Here we are talking in, in mid-May 2022. What are some of the, I suppose, uh, high-level details of this expansion? And we can get more specific as the conversation goes on. Um, well, right now we are working on really increasing uh, on outdoor production space. And when I say outdoor, I really mean greenhouses. Um, we're adding two 18,000 square foot um, greenhouse production facilities, along with a uh, 10,000 square foot support building for that. Uh, in addition to that, we're um, advancing our um, extraction facility and really increasing uh, that by almost, I would say, tenfold. Um, of where we currently are going from around 500 square feet of extraction space to around 5,000 square feet of extraction, uh, as well as a, another 5,000 square feet of production and packaging space. And, and along with that, we're also adding another uh, indoor growth space for top shelf flower, and that's another 10,000 square foot building. So we should see a, a pretty large increase in uh, what we're able to do and, and uh, hopefully grasp, uh, you know, control, complete control of our supply chain from, you know, putting plants in the ground all the way to creation of extraction uh, materials, vapables, and concentrates. Excellent. Um, and where, uh, just in terms of the timeline itself, um, again, we're talking here in mid-May, um, where, where are we at right now in terms of, uh, of the sort of ongoing uh, build-out? Um, all the site work has been completed. Um, we have had full submissions into the city. We expect to be going vertical here in the next couple of weeks with everything. Our water line um, and infrastructure is done and we're expected to, you know, uh, ATO is expected for Q4 
uh, with, you know, full operations to, to commence at that time. Excellent. Um, you know, before digging into to some of the uh, specifics of the expansion itself, I, I was hoping to maybe rewind the clock a little bit and, and go back into 2021 or, or even further back. Um, you know, of course, you mentioned uh, having complete control of the supply chain is, is one important factor here. But what were some of the the driving motivations behind this expansion? And, and I guess baked into that question is is more of a practical question. How does a, a cultivation team or or a broader cannabis operations team kind of wrap their heads around such a significant expansion? Uh, what, what's some of the prep work that goes into that? Well, I you know I think it, really this is the onset of the Arizona recreational market, which you know we saw an addition of six hundred and fifty million, bringing it over one point four billion, um, closing out twenty twenty one. So to us you know, just the growth in the product brand um, and the growth of the market, it was really a necessity for us to be able to keep up um, and, and compete um, and to be able to provide um, all the material and all the products um, with a growing market and with a growing customer base. Um, so with that, really, um, it, it, you know, in order to control the supply chain and in order to keep up with the rest of the demand, um, we really had to kind of kind of think about what was best first and you know, this first phase that we have coming down the pipeline, yes, it's to increase the output that we have for the top shelf flower coming out of the indoor buildings. But, you know, as we continue to grow and scale as a product brand and organization, really needed to be able to make sense of the cost of goods and drive down the cost um, for the material and supplies. Now, you know, on the flower side, we're really governed and limited by the amount of square footage, which makes sense to be able to, you know, throw up a, a couple of buildings and, and to be able to add more to the shelf space. But really, you know, our need to drive down the cost on the distillate and the fresh frozen material that's so, so valuable to us for the live resin products, we really, you know, had to think about how we can, how we can continue to sustain this growth and how to, how to make it make sense. And, you know, with the, with the expansion, I think, Yes, we get to control and, and own the destiny of all the material that we have, but in, in order, you know, fiscally for us to be responsible, we've, we've really got to look at the bottom line and figure out how we can drive down those costs and, and produce, you know, what we see is a, uh, you know, is a really great and scalable model for how do we squeeze everything out that we can and, and how do we cut some of the dependence on, uh, on the third party materials that we're bringing in as an organization you know, for us, you know, we've been really fortunate. I think that we've had some really great partnerships and, and have a lot of trust and a lot of checks and balances that go in to ensure that, you know, all the products that we're procuring, you know, are, are everything that we needed to be from, a, you know, from a QC checkpoint, but, you know, really important to us to, to, you know, see that value down to the bottom line where we can produce everything, you know, from scratch in-house. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we're, we're talking about, I mean, it's, it's got to be an exciting time for the team just in terms of the, the sheer scale of the expansion. And we're talking about a number of buildings, a, a vast number of or a vast amount of square footage and just pure output um, in a in a general sense, I suppose. Um, do a lot of the existing SOPs from 2021 carry over or are you sort of, uh, you know, redesigning the entire ship, I suppose? I would say with most of our SOPs, you know, with what with adding a, a greenhouse production space, that is kind of an independent, um, you know, build out and, and pretty independent of what's currently going on 
um, you know, with indoor flower production. Uh, it's not drastically different, but different enough to where um, those SOPs um, really aren't there right now. There's a lot that are there for, you know, current operations, but when we treat them that differently, um, I think it gives us better oversight of, of the process. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we always say it's training by fire, but when we're going through these things methodically as we expand, um, it, it kind of forces our managers and our staff to see the changes and, and really get comfortable with the SOPs. And at the end of it, you know, it's, it's more of a training session to have people understand these things. They're forced to really understand them. Um, but it also helps us, you know, see where our, our, our voids are. And many times it's not so much in the SOPs that currently exist, it's responsibilities and roles. So a lot of times SOPs kind of stay the same. And what we do is validate processes and we, you know, find positions and people to take on the extra burden of what's already there. Reinventing SOPs at a time um, that's in flux as much as expansion can bring is probably not something that you want to do. Um, it, we want to keep it moving smoothly. And so for the last year and a half, we've really been making minute changes that will allow us to integrate our SOPs as long as, uh, as well as integrating current infrastructure with the new state-of-the-art buildings that are coming online. And so a lot of the SOPs um, are developed through this without really doing a lot. We kind of methodically go and and correct these SOPs as they need to be. But like I said, it's less rewriting these SOPs and more giving ownership to new positions and promoting within the company to find these people that really understand the systems that we're integrating. And once you have those people in place that understand it, uh, the SOPs and adherence to them really just kind of follow through that forced training that happens during these expansion phases. Certainly. Um, I know earlier it was mentioned, uh, you know, the, the previous reliance on, on third-party product, uh, especially in these earlier days of the market in Arizona. Uh, I can see a lot of benefits, of course, to, uh, to having that control over, over the supply chain, especially on, on the cultivation side. Um, what are some of the, the challenges, though, of maybe uh, moving away from, from third-party product uh, toward, toward your own uh, degree of control over the supply chain? Uh, of course, uh, the pros outweigh the cons there, but what are some of the, the challenges that, that a team may have to uh, overcome? Well, I, I mean, uh, you know, we said it, we, we really have to learn how to grow into the SOPs and you know, it's, it's almost to me a, a double-edged sword. Um, we, we control our destiny, but we're also, you know, holding ourselves accountable to, to the standard that we expect and, and uh, that we expect our teams to have. And, you know, I think we're really fortunate that, you know, we have a really, uh, a really dedicated team that really cares about the product, really cares about the end result that we have. And, you know, I truly do believe that, you know, we currently have, and we'll continue to take on and build and develop, um, you know, these amazing teams that really care about the product and, you know, put a hundred percent into everything that they do. But, you know, the, the downside is, you know, we, we have to own, we have to own everything good, bad, and indifferent in between. And, you know, if there is a, a, a moment and no, no, uh, no grows 1000% perfect at all times. Right. I mean, I think that's, you know, for, for us, this process of growing, learning, refining these SOPs is, 
you know, we, we get to, we get to make a couple of mistakes while we're working on a much smaller scale in hopes that we've crossed a, a, a number of hurdles in order to be able to, you know, manage some of the, you know, some of the, the, the short shortcomings that could be when we begin to scale. So right now, you know, we're living through um, some of those, you know, those dirty details inside of the operations that allow us to be better operators to allow us to learn um, and develop each other um, so that we have a greater opportunity of being successful down the road. Um, you know, with, um, uh, you know, looking at some of these other pitfalls that could potentially happen, um, you know, I, look, there's, I, I think there's, there's errors that can happen everywhere, but, um, you know, it means that, uh, you know, we've got to be laser focused and the time that we put in right now is truly um, going to be the, you know, the strength of, of what we're worth down the road when, you know, we're 10 X the size that we are today, you know, so truly it is, you know, our, our own worst enemy potentially could be us. And, and we're, you know, doing as much planning, preparing, developing and nurturing now uh, to prevent, uh, you know, any shortcomings down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know uh, you both have mentioned a few times, just touching briefly on uh, the, the Arizona market, which obviously is, is just growing in terms of, of pure uh, consumer base numbers, but I'm, I'm curious about uh, specific uh, demands or even tastes. Could you maybe provide a, a bit of a high level overview of what's um, what's really moving in the Arizona market in in mid 2022? Um, I really think that the, the push towards live resin, um, you know, products um, are, are is a is a good push for the market right now. Um, with any new market in cannabis, I always like to think that it kind of follows, uh, you know, micro brewing and, and some of these other, you know, even restaurants and new flavors where um, when, with the inception of the marketplace, I think that the focus is, you know, unduly put on something like THC and potency. And as the market matures, um, your, your consumer base, you know, there's always going to be that desire for that high THC product. But as the market matures uh, and palates loosen up, so to speak, we start to see people kind of embracing more the essence of what the plant is about and getting away from, you know, um, you know, fake terpene flavors and, and flavored products and really kind of get back to the roots of what, what the program is about. And that's cannabis and, and uh, you know, kind of getting down there. So we've really seen a push in the market for these live products, um, infused products and products that um, are, are easy for consumers to, to use. So the pre-roll market seems um, pretty significant right now as well and infused pre-rolls. But um, most of uh, our, like our live Orion 710 pods right now are, is something that we're putting a lot of focus in. And that's something that goes hand in hand with what our expansion is doing. That's creating a product, you know, and having our eyes on the prize from the moment we take those clones and put them into production we already know exactly what we're going to be producing with it. And, you know, we, we don't have the instability with some of that to support some of these new market desires and flavors. You know, sometimes there's strains out there that people really like. And, um, you know, when you're reliant on third parties, you might have that for, you know, a two month period. And after that, you may never see it again. So to really develop and, and be agile within this expanding market, um, again, it just goes hand in hand with, you know, being 100% in control of what we're doing from, you know, the inception of the grow to packaged goods. So, I mean, I really think at that point, yeah, the live products right now are really good um, for us, but 
um, the staple for item nine is always going to be um, um, our cartridges as well. So um, the, I would say the marketplace is moving at, at a normal rate that we've seen in, in other markets like in Colorado and in Washington and Oregon, but um, it, it can be slow. And then, you know, usually it's a pretty slow start with everyone wanting high THC. And, you know, before you know it, you end up having connoisseurs that really start to embrace the qualities of the plants and they're not completely tied up with, you know, um, these THC numbers that will just put you to most people to bed, but sometimes people need to go to bed too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, this may be an overly obvious follow-up, but I'm I'm curious how important it is to have that uh, sense of control on the retail side through Unity Road in in, in your case here. Um, I mean, you've got, it seems like a a, a bit of uh, some feedback uh, directly from, from the retail segment that can help inform decision-making. How critical is that? when you have all this growth upstream on the cultivation side and all this investment going in on, on that end of the supply chain? Yeah. You know, for us, I think that, you know, Arizona, Arizona for us is home base for Adam nine labs, the product brand. We always look at this as, you know, kind of the backyard that we, you know, get to put all the attention on. We get to build, um, you know, amazing concepts and, and we really get to test them inside of the market. You know, currently right now, uh, we do not have the Unity Road in, in Arizona. We anticipate it, but you know it really means that the you know the hub for Unity Road right now coming out of Boulder, Colorado, and you know we'll call Colorado kind of the second anchor um, of the Item Nine Labs Corporation. But you know it, it's uh, it's it's great for us to be able to you know let's call R and D some of the concepts and the go to market strategies in our backyard with you know a bulk of the home team and being able to really really drill down, really focus and, and really build these scalable models that are going to be, you know, what we see the, the future of the organization leading Item 9 Labs product brand into the Unity Road um, retail stores across the nation. Now, you know, as diverse, um, as diverse as the rules, the regs and, and each uh, cannabis market is from state to state, you know, it means we really have to be agile in, in some of the strategies, some of the SKUs, categories and you know, what, what it looks like for us to be able to enter in, in some of these other markets. But, you know, for, for us, you know, touching a little bit on Nevada, we have the opportunity, um, you know, to move the product round out of uh, Arizona. And we have these great opportunities that we've been, you know, drilling down in Arizona, building some of these scalable roadmaps for us to take that product brand out in Nevada. You know, we'll see what that looks like for us to be able to strategically and methodically enter um, enter into a new market in order for us to be able to succeed. I think, you know, Unity Road is the retail anchor of the product brand really gives us an amazing opportunity um, to introduce the brand um, to have, you know, this amazing shelf space, be able to support our franchisees inside of the stores with a, you know, high integrity, um, trusted product brand. And, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting future for us to you know, look at how, you know, these two concepts and, and how that roadmap, you know, really it makes a ton of sense. And it's exciting to be able to look down the road and, and see how the two are going to be walking hand in hand. And, you know, ultimately it's, uh, you know, that is, uh, that is the goal for us is to continue to build um, these models um, in order to, you know, launch um, with, with a little more success knowing that we have, um, you know, great partners and great shelf space available in these outer markets. 
I'm sorry. I hope that answers. Uh, I, I hope that gets to the answer. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I mean, it got me thinking too, just in terms of the the agility that's uh, that that, a, that a, having control over the supply chain provides. I'm curious um, on the cultivation side, um, what sort of R and D capacity there might be within this expansion, uh, looking ahead into the future. Uh, well, I think that's a huge thing, and and many times, um, you know, when people enter this marketplace they're, they're kind of making it up as they go along and, and at no fault of their own, this might be their first or second attempt into this market space. And uh, so many times, you know, people will make these mistakes. We've all made them. You'll build things incorrectly. You'll, you'll, you'll realize it's wrong. You'll fix it. And then a little bit later, you'll realize there's new technologies that would have had you avoid that issue altogether if you had implemented them sooner. So you know, a lot of times, you know, cultivators will get stuck in their building. And by that, I mean, you know, at what point when you're a flourishing company that's meeting all of your expectations, do you have time to take down a room or to do some experimentation while you're, you know, literally paying bills and, and furthering company goals and objectives? And, you know, the, the answer is it's, it's almost impossible. So, you know, with this expansion, we're going to have the ability to have um, you know a true R and D facility, um, both on the production side and on the cultivation side, that are going to let us do a lot of this research that some companies you know that have been operating for ten years literally never have the chance or opportunity to do, and that's an exciting thing for us. And you know, um, if you've been to enough cannabis facilities, it's hard enough sometimes to find a broom closet, let alone a room dedicated to research and development. So that's something that's very exciting for us to see coming and, and see that both spaces on production and cultivation are going to finally have the ability to look at new technologies, you know, look at them, try to standardize them, vet them, and then hopefully, you know, and ultimately um, implement them. So uh, very exciting things for us. And I, I, the teams, you know, couldn't be more excited about that. Yeah. You know, I'm maybe along similar lines. I think it's super interesting just having, you know, the indoor and the greenhouse capabilities alongside one another, just out of curiosity, how does the decision-making work uh, between indoor versus greenhouse are certain genetics or slotted for one or the other, or is it more of an end product consideration? Um, I really think that in greenhouse production, it's the strains will let you know which ones like to be grown in greenhouses. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's not that growing cell that we're always out to achieve when we do indoor growth productions. Um, there's still strains that don't work even indoor, you know, um, productions. And we always say we like to pick easy strains. And I think a lot of the times the misconception is, is that these difficult strains that we steer away from are somehow automatically amazing. <laughs> and, and many times that's not the case, you know. And so, um, you know, dictating what goes outdoors, you know, follows a lot of feedback again from our marketing and sales teams to see what's moving currently in the marketplace. Um, the, the greenhouse is definitely a, a system that needs to have plants geared to uh, like that system. We certainly don't have the controls. We have amazing <clears throat> controls in our new um, greenhouses, but, you know, we are still left a little bit open to mother nature in those. And there's, uh, you know, the good news is, is there's plenty of strains out there that work and 
we currently have a library of 50 plus strains um, that we're excited to get into the greenhouse to, to validate what will be our, our choices there and what product offerings will, will come out of that greenhouse, you know, as a result of our due diligence on, you know, validating what strains are going to work for us in those spaces. Fantastic. Uh, well, I know that the past six months have been uh, busy just uh, in their own right for all the obvious reasons that we've discussed here. But I'm curious, uh, Corey and Chris, looking ahead to the next six months, uh, what are some major goals on your radar or, or things that you and the team are hoping to achieve later in 2022? Yeah, I think, look, we've got, uh, we've got a lot to look forward uh, a lot to look forward to. And there's definitely a lot on the plate. You know, right now, currently, you know, we're, we're really targeted in on on getting uh, the Arizona expansion up and running and have our work cut out for us. But, you know, really optimistic about the future in Arizona. You know, with that coming towards the end of the year, we're also going to have our Nevada location, the 20,000 square feet um, opening up as well, which is another cultivation and manufacturing um, facility will be coming online. And then we'd love to be able to uh, look forward a, a little bit further into you know, expanding that product brand in order to service the Unity Road retails. And I think Colorado is, you know, naturally going to be one of our first steps to enter beyond Arizona, beyond Nevada. And Colorado would be, you know, what I would call the the, the third launch of the, of the item on lap product and really to help support those, those franchisees that we have in the stores out there. Um, you know, and it's just really exciting times right, right now that we have, you know, so many good things to, to be able to look forward to and, you know, pushes us to be better, better operators, better teachers. Um, you know, we have the opportunity to learn, you know, just an incredible amount of knowledge in order to, you know, feel confident and be successful and, and really boils down, you know, to the teams that we have that Corey Carter's building that our director of lab, um, Eric Isley is building. And, you know, really, I, I look forward to, you know, seeing everyone grow and, and what we're capable of doing from, you know, from a, from a human perspective, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity. Yes. To expand the brand. Yes. To get great exposure. Yes. To move into, you know, kind of a national footprint, but, you know, also to see, you know, people that really deserve these opportunities, learn, grow, develop and grow with that brand. And I mean, it's, you know, one of the most important pieces to, you know, to, to see people flourish and see opportunities flourish and be able to take and, uh, you know, take, learn, develop together, and, you know, bring, uh, bring, bring these people, you know, along for the ride for what's going to be a, uh, an exciting, you know, remaining of 2022 leading into 2023. But, you know, really right there, you know, we talk about item nine labs and the, and the product side, that's, uh, you know, those are ambitious goals and, and, you know, we're dead set on, uh, you know, on committing hundred percent and uh, looking forward to executing. Excellent. Well, I know we're super excited to be following along and uh, and we certainly will as the rest of the year goes on. So in the meantime, Corey and Chris really appreciate the time today and getting a chance to learn more about item nine labs and we'll certainly be staying tuned. Awesome. Great. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Eric. And that's a wrap on another episode of beyond the show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Corey and Chris from item nine labs. They're out in Arizona. You know, it's always great to talk about big expansion plans, and this was a very big one. Or should I say this is a very big one. Catching them at the timeline right now as things are about to heat up this summer for the Item 9 team. 
I know I enjoy that conversation, and I know that conversations similar to that are brewing and awaiting you all at Cannabis Conference 2022. That's August 23rd to the 25th out at the Paris Las Vegas. You can learn more at CannabisConference.com, of course. Make sure you sign up for that newsletter because we've got a lot of news coming your way this summer. More speakers, more exhibitors, some uh, announcements between now and then. We know you're going to be out there this summer, this August, so make sure you're tuned in to the news along the way. I've got my own bit of news here. We're going to be taking a brief hiatus on Beyond the Show. I'm going to be walking away just for a a few weeks here, going on paternity leave. So very excited about that. Um, But in the meantime, make sure you check out the Beyond the Show archives. We've got a ton of fantastic interviews going back to early 2021. And uh, we've got a fantastic June issue of Cannabis Business Times coming your way. So make sure you tune into that. Especially, I should note, if you're a California operator. Hint, hint. So make sure you're checking out the CannabisBusinessTimes.com website where all the news of the day is, the magazine coming out very soon in June, and the Cannabis Conference website where you can learn all you need to know about the show that you're going to be at this August. I'll see you there, and we'll be back in a few weeks with more Beyond the Show interviews. Thanks.